Welcome to the Hidden Yardage Podcast. I'm Mark Lane, joined by Sean Martin. You can follow me on Twitter at the Real Mark Lane. You can follow Sean at Sean Martin NFL. You can subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, and Stitcher. We're part of the Blog and the Boys Podcast Network. So that means we get to ride the coattails of great interviews like RJ Ochoa had today. It was so exciting. He was able to talk to Dak Prescott, and you guys can go back in your feed and listen to it. It was amazing to hear two stars, one in the Cowboys blogosphere, the other, well, you know, quarterback of America's team, just chopping it up. It was a great listen, Sean. And how about this for a little behind the scenes? I think I mentioned a few times that I work here in Austin for a Budweiser distributor, but most people know that the Cowboys have always been tied to Miller Lite and Coors Light and that side of things. But we had a company meeting maybe a couple of weeks ago at this point, and the very last slide on the slideshow was Dak Prescott giving us a personal shout-out with the company name in there and everything, wearing a Bud Light hat. So I don't know how you know whoever in our company pulled that off, and most of the people in the room were Cowboys fans who responded pretty well to it. Some were Texas fans who probably didn't, but I know, you know, I was kind of sleepwalking my way through the meeting and then that last slide pops up and I'm like, wait a second, that's Dak Prescott. What's about to happen here? And he gave us a shout out. So good to have him both in that aspect. And of course, right here on our network, we have so many great shows and articles and podcasts, all that coming out every single day. Yeah. And here we are. Episode 1029. Actually, you know, episode 29, but we pad the stats a little bit. Uh, And hey, we're finally getting to talk about Cowboys football, Sean. Yeah, to think that, and I mentioned this last week, that we can do, you know, 28 episodes of a show with only one of them, and all of them being recorded on a Sunday, but only one of them actually coming on after a game is kind of ridiculous. So, you know, we've done that, though. We've had great topics throughout the offseason and been able to have some creativity fun like that, but now it's definitely time to... uh, just get into these games, which will kind of change things a little bit. But we broke down the Super Bowl for our first ever show. And then from there, it was like, well, wait, now what do we do? There's no football. But we've, we found plenty to do, of course, and it's been a whole lot of fun. And we're still going to find topics to talk about. But this is definitely going to shift into more of a uh, you know post-game reaction, Monday afternoon, Monday morning quarterback, if you will, type of program. But hey, just remember, any mistakes that we've made along the way, any penalties, as Mike McCarthy would tell you, uh, even though they were a problem last year, do not translate to what we're doing currently. So, you know, this may be episode 29, but as you just said, maybe it's the start of a new type of season, but yet anything that we've done before uh, doesn't apparently doesn't have an impact because that was McCarthy's answer about how committing 17 penalties in the preseason opener after talking all offseason about cleaning up penalties doesn't really, shouldn't be a point of concern, even though we all know it is. Okay, but I'll play devil's advocate you, I mean, it is a bunch of second-teamers and third-teamers that were committing the penalties, guys who may or may not be on practice squads by September. So, in that regard, I mean, you do get what he's saying, right? Well, somewhat, but of course, Tyler Smith and Sam Williams got flagged as well, and those are two guys that are you know, your first two picks expected to contribute. One of the calls on Smith was bad, and Williams' roughing the passer was questionable, of course. But, you know, if they throw the flag, it's still a penalty, and you have to live with it, and they're trying not to live with as much of that. And apparently they're trying to teach, you know, no matter who's out there, first team, second team, or third, 
just to be a more disciplined football team. And so clearly that's not happening either. So I do get a little bit of what McCarthy is saying, but he doesn't look good when it comes to being a head coach for a team that continues to commit so many penalties. Yeah, and I think that with Smith and Williams, those are two areas where, you know, Dallas is going to have to live with it. They're going to have to live with the -the on-the-job training that they chose in constructing the 2022 team because they had a sure thing in Connor Williams, let's say, that they could have re-signed. They had a sure thing in Randy Gregory or really any other free agent, Ed Rusher, that they wanted to bring in. No, I'm not counting Dante Fowler. But uh, they could have had the veteran experience, and instead what happened was they decided to go with this on-the-job training, and now that's, I think, maybe what costs them some games is a Tyler Smith pre-snap penalty, a Sam Williams roughing the passer when he shouldn't have been anywhere near the pocket after he released the ball, you know, with the throwing motion. So, you know, this is kind of the price that the Cowboys are going to have to pay during one of the 17 games this season. For sure. And I'm not here to overreact to one preseason game. You know, it's not what either of us are here for, but I just think, you know, there's coaching staffs that you build with the idea in mind that they're the ideal coaches for that on the job training. And they're going to be the coaches that actually develop quickly and can teach and adjust quickly to the point where maybe you don't lose that game. Maybe, you know, it's on, it's on the fringes and then you, you know, you pull it out because you're able to make those adjustments or your young players come along and you're still going to lose along the line at some point. But you have your coaching staffs that are better at handling that type of team. And then you have the ones that, you know, come in with a roster already pretty set, maybe in that championship window, which is, you know, a buzzword for this team right now, and can actually get the job done that way and go find that playoff success. And, you know, McCarthy would tell you every day and twice on Sunday that he was brought in to be that guy to go win with and that they were close and they had, Amari Cooper with Dak Prescott and all these things. And now very quickly, he's kind of turned to be the guy staring at, you know, a, something of a rebuild on the fly. And I think the same goes for Kellen Moore as far as, you know, him not having as many options now um, and seeing what really his offense is going to be made of when it comes to not being able to throw to Cooper, or even Michael Gallup to start the season, and now even James Washington. So, yeah, there's a lot of questions about, I think, both McCarthy and Moore, just as far as if they're the right fit based on where this team appears to be right now just after one preseason game, which is a team that's going to be really dependent on Dan Quinn's defense, uh, which when the starters are out there, they look pretty good. So Dan Quinn's defense has a ton of pressure on them. I don't know if that can win you many standalone games. They don't get any help from both McCarthy more in the offense, but it's a staff that is going to have to kind of find itself in terms of knowing that player development is going to make or break this type of season with two more preseason games to go and then a tough start to your regular season. Yeah, and, you know, I think maybe we should just go ahead and get into it. Um, what what one good thing, one bad thing, and one random miscellaneous thing did you take away from the preseason game Saturday night with the Broncos? So we'll start with the good, since I kind of went negative off the top there with the penalties and McCarthy. So my good was, and I already mentioned this with Dan Quinn, but the front seven – 
and those players that he's developing now, you know, all the way from starters down to these deaf guys that we think can make an impact. Really did look pretty good. Neville Gallimore made that flash play at the beginning. Quentin Bohanna looked like he was moving and penetrating a lot better. He's not just kind of that bucket of dirt ball snapped and he's fighting, hand fighting at the line of scrimmage. He was getting into the backfield to be disruptive and make plays. And that's without even seeing Oso Digizua. We didn't really see much from Chauncey Golston, but he's been a big factor throughout training camp and he's pretty much played exclusively defensive tackle. So all these players on the interior really give you a different look than what you're used to from the Cowboys defense. John Ridgway still coming along as your seventh round pick. He played a little bit, but has a ways to go, but is still out there getting those developmental snaps as well. And then of course, behind this uh, behind this front four linebacker, Devin Harper, I thought, looked really comfortable at the mic position, roaming around kind of Micah Parsons' uh, spot when he's not playing there. He's a guy who could play some range and some speed as well. Harper, that is. And Parsons even gave an interview during the game on the Cowboys network, and I asked him what the strength of this entire defense was. And, of course, he's good to give this answer because he's confident in his own game, and he is a front seven player himself. But he said the front seven, you know, has been the most noticeable part of this defense uh, so far in training camp. And we also know the secondary has been good as well. So, you know, all things pointing up for this Cowboys defense, my overall good point was just the front seven when you saw guys like Gallimore and Bohanna making plays and Terrell Bassam off the edge and knowing that you're going to be able to add in even more like Dorrance Armstrong and Demarcus Lawrence and also Diggy Zua. It's a pretty good defensive line shaping up right now. Okay, and the one good thing that I had for Dallas was basically just it was actually you wouldn't believe it, but I think it was Jake Ferguson because it was nice to see their fourth-round tight end get out there, make some blocks, make some catches. He had three catches for 29 yards, and it was just good to see him get involved in the action and just kind of develop and have those opportunities because you know what you're going to get with Dalton Schultz, but there's really kind of an element of how much long-term are you going to have with Dalton Schultz. And so you just want to see Jake Ferguson develop. Also, uh, Peyton Hendershot, he had um, two catches for 13 yards. He played some snaps. And so the, the youth of the tight end core just, you know, seemed to have a pretty good game, which I think is what you need. Because Sprinkle, um, you know, he's getting up there in years a little bit. Also, Sean McKeon, um, he's good. You know, this is going to be a key year for him. So you want to have those next, um, <laughs> those next Pezes in the Pez dispenser come up, so that you're able to, you know, enjoy what you've got in the passing game and in the run blocking with your tight end. So I thought that Jake Ferguson had a good game. Yeah, that's a great throwback reference right there. I remember those Pez dispensers. I don't know if you collected them or, or not, but those things be able I definitely had some of them. Um, yeah, when it comes to this tight end position, though, I think, you know, the best thing that you saw from them, at least from just an offensive scheming standpoint, is, of course, you didn't have Dalton Schultz out there, like you said, but those plays that Hendershot and Ferguson were making, you know, were similar to the ones that are going to be called for assault. So now if you do need 
you know, if Schultz just misses a game or he needs a rep off or you're trying to catch the defense by surprise by not having him out there and then still throwing that bootleg or something similar to Ferguson, they can execute. That's, you know, when it's preseason week one, that's really what you look for as opposed to just great individual efforts. All these players existing within the scheme where, you know, I was going to bring up later, Brandon Smith made a play on a third and long where he was lined up at the solo X position where CDLM is, of course, going to play most of the snaps this year. And he ran pretty much the exact route you could pixel am running, you know, right over the middle, little in route, caught it in stride, and went down at the first down. That's a play you can just pixel am making over and over again this year. But if he's not out there, do you have other guys that can go do the exact same thing as opposed to having to really change what you're doing based on who's out there from a backup perspective? And I think Ferguson, they really do see a Dalton Schultz type of player if he gets that type of development and he gets the opportunity to play over a sprinkle or a McKean. All right, so what's one negative thing that you have from the game? So I had, of course, the penalties, but my other thing was continuing to give up big plays down the field. It was an Achilles heel for this defense last year, but we know turnover luck is you know fluky from year to year, and so we're not expecting to get as many turnovers from Dan, Quinn, Dan Quinn's defense this year. And a lot of those turnovers bailed you out after drives that you know the analytics would tell you should have scored against you just based on the amount of big plays the Cowboys gave up. I think it's something like if you give up more than two explosive plays on a drive, you know they almost always end in a touchdown. But the Cowboys caught the better end of the luck on that one because they were able to force some turnovers down there to erase those big plays. But the Cowboys' longest pass play in this entire game was that uh, that play to Brandon Smith. He had a 40-yard catch. Broncos hit you for plays of 42, 40, 30, and a 24-yard touchdown to Kendall uh, Hilton. So, you know, you're continuing to give up plays in the passing game. Yes, later in the day it was, you know, against secondary players who really were going to have a hard time making this roster because we know the starters have played pretty well. So it's not overly concerning. But, again, penalties and big plays were problems last year, and so you want to start proving that you fixed those problems from last year. This is their first chance to do it, and they didn't really do that a whole hell of a lot. Um, you know, throughout these four quarters when they always scored the seven points themselves and have a lot to work on moving forward. For me, and I know it's just uh, ordering off the value menu of analysis, but it's the kicking game. I think what they did with, you've got a kicking battle going on with Liram Harulahu and Brett Maher. I mean, it's like, if there were a competition between the ghost of Christmas past and the ghost of Christmas pastor, it's just like, we already know how this ends. And so that's the kicking bat. So, all right, he missed, you know, a 56 yard field goal. You can't hold that against him, but nevertheless, it just underscores uh, where this team is at and how you need to have, if you're not, they better be good in the red zone. That's all that I got to say about that. Because with going with such an unproven commodity at kicker, I mean, this can cost you, I mean, it could change the tenor of your season. I mean, I would argue that in 2010, with them going with David Beeler and giving him a shot, they had missed kicks through those first six games before Tony Romo broke his collarbone that they ended up losing 
And then maybe they don't start one and seven. Tony Romo gets his collarbone broken and Wade Phillips gets fired. Now, I don't think it'll be that bad because they went the wrong way with the kicker. But I think that in terms of showing you belong with Tampa Bay, the Rams, the Bengals, you can ward off the challenges from the Giants, the Eagles, which they'll have to do in the first six games. You need to have a reliable kicker and someone that's not going to take the air out of your sails from a touchdown drive that would have put you ahead. But, uh, you know, oh, it goes from a three-point game now to a four-point game. So i got to go score another touchdown so kicking a field goal. Yeah, it's not hard to imagine that it's going to be, you know, almost a chore at times for this team to move the ball again. It was last year, and now the skill positions are worse off. So when they do put those drives together, yeah, it better be ending in points, whether it's punching it down there in the end zone, which is how you win games, of course, so you're looking for that. But if not, you know, you if you have to settle for three points and go line up for a field goal, it is going to take the air out of the sails quite a bit, I think, if, you know, Prescott's getting them down there and then you have one bad pass on a third down and you say, okay, well, we still got three points and then you don't because you don't have, you know, a reliable kicker out there. So it's a huge problem. They, they owe it to nobody but themselves as far as how they've gotten themselves in this situation. It was kind of almost cute at first when, when they were showing that they were going to be more aggressive on fourth downs and things like that. And it was like, oh, well, kicking game doesn't matter. We're going to score touchdowns. And we all kind of believe that because of how strong the receiving core was and all that. But now CDLM is the only receiver on this roster with a career touchdown catch. So this whole never kick score touchdowns thing is kind of a stretch. And they're going to have to have those kicking game, uh, you know, like you said, have it be reliable and have someone that can at least convert extra points and those red zone opportunities. It's quite dicey. What's one random miscellaneous thing that you took away from the Denver game? So my random thought goes to third-round rookie Jalen Tolbert. Just as kind of a back of the head, maybe he has a longer to develop than we all thought type of deal, or just the hype was too much too soon, which I think is something we've covered on a previous episode of this show. But, of course, he had that drop. It's no big deal. It's going to happen to you know every receiver on this roster throughout the preseason and into the regular season when the games matter. So, yeah, he had the drop. He'll put it behind him. But it's either the case where he does have more time to develop than we think or the drop-off from Prescott to Cooper Russ and Ben DiNucci, which we know is huge anyway. But the drop-off is that significant to the point where the reps just didn't mean that much once, uh, you know, Tolbert was catching passes from a guy like Ben DiNucci to really make that developmental reps uh, out there against the Broncos. But... Nonetheless, the Cowboys are going to be asking a lot from Jalen Tolbert throughout this entire season. The first couple of weeks of the season, when you don't have Gallup in Washington, he's pretty much going to be asked to be an immediate starter type of player. And even once those guys come back, I think they see him as that deep threat type of role, consistent connection to Prescott in the red zone that they might not have in Washington because he hasn't really worked out there on the practice field yet. So Tolbert's going to have a role here, and what it's going to be is really yet to be defined because He's had some moments in camp, but he didn't back it up with all that strong of a showing against the Broncos. My truly random miscellaneous observation is how the feed from Empower Stadium or Empower Field cut out for the Cowboys radio network there in the third quarter. And it was due to the rain affecting the satellite feed. And I was kind of hoping just a little bit, that this would disrupt the transmission of the game 
And so that I may be spared the, my 1,257th preseason game and that I didn't have to watch the third stringers can play throughout the rest of the game. So well, it was a chore oh, to stay up no. for this whole game. Sean, no doubt. look, uh, I do. They, when they play the Chargers, that's going to be nine o'clock at, n- at night kickoff. That's, that's a Saturday too, man. There's got to be something better that we can be doing. They right? better, they uh, better uh, play. I, I say that knowing, yeah, yeah, I say that knowing full, you know, full well that we respect what we do here and appreciate the show, of course, but man, you know, Saturday night before these things, before these games actually matter. Um, yeah, I'll be watching, of course, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, the preseason schedules, even going down from four games to three can be rough, but we made it through our first four quarters. And now you, you know, you have the same setup this week though, with the joint practices against the Chargers leading into the game. Yeah. And I, I just want to say that to really cover these night games like this, it takes sort of, for me personally, it takes a ramping up and getting yourself ready to go. I mean, it's truly like working a night show. Well, hey, our first our first regular season podcast is going to be recorded super late, no? I mean, we, we don't get to come on until after the Tampa Bay games. So. Hey, no, I'll be ready for it, but I'm saying it, it takes like gearing up for work a night shift to do a really good job. And going into just, you know, the Denver game, for me personally, I didn't exactly hit that ramp up. And so that's why I was cracking jokes about, I hope that the my 1,257th preseason game, just, you know, the transmission, and then I can go back and watch it on replay. But um, no, I th- with the joint practices with the Chargers, I think that's really where they get a lot of their work done like they did with Denver, and um, I, I'm glad to see the NFL compensate that way for the loss of the fourth preseason game by going ahead and having more joint practices. You would think, and I was hoping you know, we'd see more of this from the Cowboys, though, against the Broncos, where you could use kind of what you can build on from those practices to actually respond in the game, and they're not doing full scouting reports and game planning for these games. I know they're still working just on the base concepts against a real defense and and offense for the first time. So, you know, that's all good and fine. But, yeah, you still had some takeaways from those joint practices from the media that was there and just the observations of being able to see some of the video that came out where, you know, the Broncos got the best of you physically at times and you weren't able to throw the ball outside to see the IM. And so then what do you do about it when the game comes around? And they really didn't do much as far as fixing those things. And, of course, I already mentioned – they didn't clean up the penalties and you're giving up the big plays to the Broncos offense with their backups in as well. So, you know, it wasn't just hearing those things probably makes it sound like it was, you know, just a complete horrible night for the Cowboys. It wasn't that. And of course the biggest thing is you came away without any injuries, but you know, certainly the expectations for this season are going to be based on just how this team continues to play the next two preseason games and gets those reps in there to at least make us feel a little bit better that this whole offseason had a plan and this offseason really set them up to contend in the NFC East again, which is yet another question for them. And, you know, their first four quarters had more questions than answers going into this Chargers game now. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. 
but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. And here's a question going into the Chargers game. How much time does Ben DiNucci actually have? Yeah, this one this one's a really interesting question. I don't want to read too much into it, but I feel like this answer kind of depends on the decisions that they're going to end up making you know, on this offensive line and like safety positions like that. Because it'd be easy in early years to look at this and say, oh, well, Danucci hasn't done anything and he can't play. And so, you know, how do you justify keeping his roster spot? And that was true in, you know, early years and he wasn't here. But now he's here and we know he stuck around because McCarthy's a fan and his development and all that. But now this year, I mean, you look up and down this roster and there's plenty of guys almost in that same mold of Ben Danucci where they're, they're hanging on to him, continuing to develop, and Danucci doesn't have the advantage of being a brand-new player anymore. But there's still you know guys like Isaac Alarcone and Josh Ball and Marquise Bell has felt like a lock to make this team as a, as a UDFA from day one. You know, when's the last time that happened where you signed a UDFA? It's like, oh, well, there's your safety. You know, he's going to be here. Get ready for that. Well, that hasn't really happened. So this is probably Danucci's best chance to look up and down to Austin and say, well, if we're still working on this guy and this guy and there's still hope for a TJ Vasher and Brandon Smith, and I deserve to be here. So if that remains the case, and of course McCarthy being here, um, he'll be here for you know at least this season and we'll go from there. With Danucci, he's got a lot of bad Romo in him. Let me just put it to you that way. Um, when he threw what should have been an interception, when he broke away from a sack and he's slinging it downfield instead of just looking for the check that like he's always going for the he's always going for the big one and I don't know that he can comprehend that you can't go broke turning a profit that makes sense in other words when you get out of something like that if you can just show that you can protect the football, get out of there with a punt, because that's really more times than not the kind of football you're going to be faced with, is from the first through the third quarter of trying to protect the football and give yourself another chance and not just put more work on your defense, more work on yourself. And it looks like he just still is in that mindset of trying to win the entire game in the third, you know, second quarter. So, um, if, like you said, when it comes to just 
the availability on the roster. I think if they can, if the overall roster can avoid injuries, or if you get some guys that are starting the season on pup, or just some of that weird roster massaging that goes on after, during the fifty-three man cutdown, then I think he can still find a way to stick around. Um, if he, you know, if he could just, and this has been part of the complaint that not only Mike McCarthy, but other coaches have had uh, over the last five to seven years that I've been covering the NFL is they don't feel like they get enough time in the off season to really develop these guys because the quarterback schools, there's not a lot of time of that. A lot of the drills and everything that these guys are running are with the component of the running backs or the receivers, or there's not really just time to work on these guys' skills on their own with the coaches and all that. And, uh, you know, maybe if in another time, NFL Europe or whatever, Ben DiNucci would have been something by now but I, I you know I, I just think that he's got to show something in the last two weeks because I think he's running out of time no matter the Pittsburgh connections and how many times he, he rode the uh, roller coasters at Kennywood yeah there's plenty of fans that agree with you you know on that as far as running out of time no doubt but you'd like to see either you know the accuracy in the sort of intermediate throws from him which like you said that's where he almost had the interception or you know the ability to push the ball down the field, but both of those areas are really a struggle for him. And so if you don't have either one, you know, can you be a serviceable quarterback? And that's what the Cowboys are still trying to figure out as they make a decision uh, after Danuti plays, you know, the bulk of these next two preseason games. Yeah, and you just see the Cowboys trying to—I don't know if you call it cut corners, but they're really trying to get what they can from special teams, from other parts of the roster, because they're going to be counting on Tony Pollard and CeeDee Lamb to be contributors significantly on offense. So in doing so, you have to limit their special teams' participation. So that's why Kevontae Turpin is here. So do you think that he showed enough against the Broncos that he can be a viable replacement meal shake at kick returner and punt returner? Yeah, I think, you know, this is a guy that John Fossil can make an easy case for sticking around. You know, we had an article up on the front page of bloggingtheboys.com about the Cowboys' top special teams performers from last season. And to run through the list real quick, you know, Luke Gifford was your top guy with over 75% of the snaps. And then C.J. Goodwin, then Corey Clement, who's no longer here. Nason Wright, Jeremy Sprinkle, Malik Turner, wide receiver, no longer here. And then Noah Brown. So if you look at this list, there's a theme of, you know, none of those guys besides Goodwin probably are true, at least looking at this year's projection, because Wright last year was really just a special teams player and didn't play much at corner. But now moving forward, these are guys that, you know, really are main are mainstays in either offense or defense, and they happen to also go work with Bones on the special teams. And if he can get the most out of them, which he's done throughout, you know, his very uh, – on career at this point, then that's great. But at some point, he gets to make a case for just a pure, you know, 
your core special teams guy. And I think Turpin can be that. And then if he wants to add, you know, in that meeting, oh, well, Kellen Moore can find a use for him too. You know, even if it's just that one, you know, jet sweep a game or a couple of throws to him, there's a package for him on offense. So that's where he's valuable. But he's going to be my special teams guy because Gifford could see some run at linebacker. Goodwin's one of your core special teamers. Wright seems to be in a position where he can play some cornerback for you. Sprinkles, your blocking tight end. Noah Brown, of course, is a lock to make this team a wide receiver. He's had a great camp there as well. So these are all guys that are going to help more than just the special teams, which opens up a spot for Turpin to just be that true special teams return guy. And that's, that's where most of his value will be. But again, if Moore can also use him as that jet sweep guy, then it definitely makes him even more of a roster lock as that speedy guy that you can't teach. You know, they say you can't teach speed and he's showing that he has it. Yeah, no, I'm their plan for Turpin, like I said, I get it. I understand it. If it works, I mean, it really is going to help them on special teams. It's just, I, it can he manifest it this year, or is it going to have to take a season, you know, a few games of adjusting to NFL speed? Because that's the other thing. These guys on special teams, they're not running design plays and everything right now on coverages. They're really evaluating um, just individual performance. Vanilla, I hate to use the term, but it is. Using vanilla coverages on special teams. So how quickly can he adapt and be productive? I mean, I'm going to have to see. I hate to just put this type of expectation, but I'm going to have to see Cavante Turpin take one to the house, whether by kick return or punt return through the next eight quarters to have any confidence that, you know what I mean, or he gets a breaks a 50 yard or whatever, just to have any confidence that when, when it's live action, you've got design coverages that he'll be able to make the right decisions and pick up positive yards for him. And, not stall the thing out because that is what Lamb, uh, Tony Pollard, and Cedric Wilson, who we're not talking about, were able to do last season. Yeah, no, and against the Broncos, you know, those smart plays were pretty much just fair catching the ball and taking what was there. You could tell it was killing him not to be able to show off a little bit more coming from the XFL and now trying to uh, – or USFL, rather, and now trying to, um, you know, make his mark with the Cowboys and – so, yeah, like you said, does he need to break a 50-yard or a touchdown return to really show that he can be that type of guy? I'm not sure if that's quite the expectation for him, but you know, the upside is there for him to be that guy. And if you're not realizing that potential by making that 50-yard return, then you could, you know, you could find somebody else back there. If Lamb is too valuable as your wide receiver one, we all get that. But you, know, you could go back to a Pollard or even Javon Diggs has gotten reps there. So. Yeah, Turpin is here to make big plays in the return game. And, of course, he you know did nothing of the sort against the Broncos. So we'll put that on, on ice until the Chargers game. Yeah, and something that the Cowboys are going to have to work through is their tackle depth. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So what do you want to do? What do you want to do at tackle, Sean? Got any uh, Arkansas high school players that you think are ready to, <laughs> for the next step? No, I'd rather pick Texas. Oh, yeah, that's, that, that's probably fair. But, um, yeah. Obviously, the free agent list of tackle is pretty bleak. Um, 
you know, there's some recognizable names and they threw in here just because they're just that. They're names that fans will say, oh, I know who that is. But then again, remind yourself that why am I listing them as a free agent here when the preseason's already underway and the regular season's here? You know, there's a reason for that. So some veterans, of course, well past their prime. But Nate Soldier, Brian Balaga, Eric Fisher, Mike Remmers, those are all guys that could be had right now just if you wanted to type of deal. And also Mitch Hyatt and Ty Nasecki, who both last played for the Cowboys. So there's a familiarity there if they really want to reach down and say, hey, we messed up. We need to come. We need to go back to one of these depth options that we had here in the past because we just don't have these backups in here right now. And they're going to get a really good look at the Chargers, of course, this week, as we've been saying. They've already played one preseason game against the Rams. Their starting tackles were both uh, Foster Sorrell and Trey Pipkins. And then, of course, we know they have Rasan Slater once the regular season gets uh, coming around. But Pipkins only played about 20% of the snaps in that game against the Rams, and then they played a guy, Storm Norton, behind him. Sorrell was a UDFA, who's 6'7", 322, by the, by the way, and has come up with the Ravens, Giants, and now the Chargers. And Storm Norton, who came in behind their starting right tackle, Pipkins, actually started 15 games last year uh, for the Chargers. So I never thought I'd be late night researching the Chargers tackle situation to try to get us through what the Cowboys are dealing with, but it is that desperate of a situation for the Cowboys to figure out something uh, behind Josh Ball, Terrence Steele, and Tyron Smith. So you you know you might get a look at these Chargers guys, knowing that Slater is going to jump into the starting lineup come the regular season. Maybe one of these guys could be had in a trade, or you're watching the uh, the roster cuts that come down on Tuesday. Yeah, I what I would do is I would keep an eye, keep contact with Ty Nasecki. Um, because maybe the tackle situation is good enough for you to just get through week one, the first week of the season with, um, you know, Josh Ball because Tyron Smith and uh, Terrence Steele are doing okay. They're healthy, and uh, you can make it on game days with Connor McGovern at left guard, kick Tyler Smith out to a tackle spot just to get through it. Um, so I, I would just keep in contact with Ty Naseki. Uh, if there were any problems, then I might look at someone like Marcus Cannon, who was with New England for many years through the, throughout the, uh, 2010s and spent last season at the Southern Terminus of I-45, uh, also, I'd keep an eye on Kendall Lamb, who was with the Tennessee Titans, and then he's previously with Cleveland, and now he's with Detroit. But So he looks like a guy that uh, just, you know, bounces around with teams and so forth. I'd just keep an eye on him, see if he could provide, like you said, just that number four type of tackle depth. And that's basically it. I, I wouldn't try something crazy although it it would be crazy, uh, and that would be you take Dalton Risner from the Broncos and you trade for him, and then you take Tyler Smith and you kick him out to tackle when the time comes. There you go. Get him those reps. Start him early. You know, that just makes it so much more frustrating. It's like not only did they set themselves up for failure at tackle, but then they tried to shoehorn in this value in the Tyler Smith pick by saying – oh, well, he's an option to tackle. But now we all know the plan is to work him at left guard. And if that plan goes horribly wrong and you do need him to tackle, then okay, maybe 
they'll get some credit if and only if Smith steps in and actually plays as a serviceable left tackle, which if you, if you look at his Tulsa tape, that was an issue for him. But then who steps in a left guard? You created another hole where you, know, you felt bad enough about your guard situation to let Connor Williams go and put another first-round pick right in there. And now you feel bad enough at tackle to move that first-round pick and slide you know, Connor McGovern back in there. So it just shows how far the offensive line has fallen from you know, when they were considered, of course, the best in the league and there was pretty much a pro bowler at every position. And now you know, we can't even put together a lineup that doesn't involve you know, musical chairs and shuffling guys around and moving one guy that just creates a hole that can't be filled uh, with you know, really a serviceable player. Um, elsewhere on the depth chart, you know, a guy like Isaac Alicone has played pretty well, but do you want him playing every snap on the left guard right now? Probably not. So it would be McGovern's job to lose if Smith goes out there to tackle. Uh, but that just creates the same issue that you dealt with when McGovern was in the lineup last year. So how much better is this offensive line going to be? Because they drafted Tyler Smith, the expectation is that it needs to be a whole lot better. I think you should be encouraged by what he did at guard. So if he does stay there, it can be a lot better. But we also know the reality is that Tyler Smith is going to miss some time and they need to be better off without him in the lineup and without Josh Ball just being you know, your first and only option since you don't have Matt. Well, let's go right now. All right, let's go ahead and get to some Cowboys birthdays. Really, there's just only one that I, I think is relevant for this week, and it's Isaiah Stanback, who played receiver for Dallas from 2007 to 2008. They drafted him, I believe is in the fourth round, from Washington, and they converted him from quarterback to receiver, and, you know, that always works out. So uh, he did play for the Patriots, and he caught a pass on Sunday night football against the Indianapolis Colts on November the 15th, 2009. And uh, so, yeah, he was with the Patriots too. Now he's with the Cowboys again. He's on all their mothership stuff. And you saw him on Saturday night, and you'll continue to see him throughout the preseason on the Cowboys TV network, providing color commentary with – with Bill Jones and Babe Laufenberg. So Isaiah Stanback turns 38 on Tuesday. And that trio was on my TV last night. I was seeing a lot of tweets rolling in about Cowboys fans from outside this area being forced to watch the Broncos uh, coverage, which was simulcasted to NFL Network, apparently. So there were some issues with that broadcast and just the way they were presenting it. And the Cowboys broadcast did hit a little glitch at some point, probably around the same time that you mentioned uh, where it had that. But I'll still find it really cool that I get to watch, you know, the Cowboys home network for these preseason games. So, yeah, so I'll stand back on there with Bill Jones and Babe Offenberg and guys like Kyle Yeoman who have appeared, you know, right here on the Spog and the Boys podcast network. So good to see, uh, you know, the hometown Cowboys coverage here, at least for two more weeks. And then, of course, everything goes national. And we'll all be asking ourselves on Sunday, wait, where's Joe Buck until we until we remember, uh, you know, that he's the Monday night. Play by play, man. Now I will not be asking where Joe Buck is. You don't have to worry about that for me. <laughs> well, you, I mean, I get, I get what you're saying, but is, is it not going to feel weird that first, you know, four o'clock Fox game with the Cowboys on? Yeah, I'll tell you what, Fox. Where it's not, where it's not, where it's not Joe. Think about it though. And Kevin Burkhard, he does a great job, and uh, he was actually Danny White's play by play guy on the first two seasons of Dallas Cowboys radio stuff on the Compass Media Network, 2011 and 2012. Um, he's a real good guy. 
Um, but in terms of star power, it's the first time Fox is going without really anybody because they had Madden and Summerall from 94 to 01. Then you had Joe Buck, eh, who's he? But we know Troy Aikman is from 02 to 2021. And now it's like, like I said, they'll make a name for themselves quickly. But just in terms of recognizable, you know, household names, <laughs> it's it, it's going to be very fascinating. But like I said, Kevin Burkhardt and company, they'll do great work. And they sure do. Yeah, Burkhardt. A terrific announcer that I've gotten to uh, got to know at one point, met him while I was in college, so deserves this opportunity and will be stepping in there, of course. You know, whether you like it or not, I guess if you work for Fox Sports, you have to get familiar with the Cowboys because they just always find their way right into the primetime programming now. So the Cowboys' first Buck game, though, will be, uh, of course, week three, MetLife Stadium at the Giants. That's their first uh, Monday game after opening the season on Sunday Night Football, so plenty of primetime to start the year. Definitely, and plenty of time to try to get a pork roll sandwich consumed between now and then, too. I'm looking at the last week of August, um, August 29th through Friday, September the 2nd, because virtually nothing's going on. You got the 53-man cutdown on Tuesday the 30th, and then at 11 a.m. on Wednesday the 31st, that's when players can sign um you know with the teams but uh, other than that nothing going on so that's what i'm looking at sean all right we will uh, i'm determined to make sure i make this happen at this point because we tried last week but neither of us could really be up for it so yeah now with an extra week to prepare we will be ready uh to make this happen so hopefully hopefully i can also say this it won't be my only trip up to a you know the dallas area for football season you know so we'll do this for a preseason bit and then try to make it up there for another game this year but for now yeah we have this window uh, here through the end of august to go get you the sandwich so i definitely hope i can be a part of that oh you will be sean you've been listening to the hidden yardage podcast follow sean at sean martin nfl myself at the real mark lane on twitter subscribe to us on apple spotify TuneIn, and stitcher so there it is yeah.